Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. The lives and livelihoods we've put together, they're not mutually exclusive ideas. Our fatality rate is still about the lowest in the nation. In fact, I think it is the lowest at 0.7 tenths of 1%, may bump it up to 8 tenths of 1%. Um, 14 deaths per 100,000 people in Utah, compared to, say, New York's uh, 170 uh, deaths per 100,000 people, and sometimes people point to New York as as the example of good work. I'm not sure I agree with that. Certainly their death rates are significantly higher, and uh, so we've done a pretty good job there. We, we watch our hospitalization rates, which are increasing now, which is a concern. We look at the economy, and we have a 4.1% unemployment rate, which is the second lowest in the nation, second only to Nebraska which has a little more agriculture, which is a little easier, I think, frankly, to have a low unemployment rate. But we've been listed as the best state to come out of this pandemic crisis of any uh, state in America economically, and that's being proven to be true. Derek Miller wrote a nice piece, I think, in the Desert News today on on the road to recovery. Uh, we have a lot of good things going. So it's not all gloom and doom. It's cause for pause and consideration and concern as we see these infection rates that have jumped dramatically, I mean, just dramatically, in uh, Utah County, and the reason that we moved the Ormond Provo from yellow to orange is to see if we can't uh, tamp that down before it spreads more. Uh, it's a, really a call to action for all of us to do the best thing that we can, and we ought to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. I'm tired of the divisiveness that's out there, and, and I think everybody is. We need to start pulling together and show a little more civility in our discussion, certainly respect for our fellow man. Governor, in your terms as governor, or maybe you can compare this to the other challenges you've faced. I mean, how does how does this last term compare to your the rest of your terms? I mean, how do you describe that? Oh, boy. As far well, as challenges go. Well, I came in in the depths of the Great Recession, and that was the worst economic times Utah has ever experienced except for the Great Depression. So it was a challenging time. We had to modify what we were doing. We found a plan and modified what we had been doing to accommodate the, the, the new future uh, with this recession. And uh, uh, we did uh, work with efficiency and government. We had to cut a billion dollars out of the budget, and we found ways to do more with less and uh, do more with the same. And uh, we did some remarkable things. That's why we have fewer state employees today than we had back in 2002 with the 900,000 more in our population. So that was part of the effort. It was an all-hands-on-deck effort there, but it was it was more certain. You know, it was, it was more here's the, here's the problem and here's what we can do to solve the problem. Here's the plan that will work. The pandemic is a little bit uncertain. And it's been like moving goalposts and uh, moving the, the goal line as we've tried to find ways to solve the problem. So it's been a little bit more difficult. As I mentioned, it just permeates everything we do, our travel, our ability to do international business, our trips to Washington, D.C., our association with other governors and these uh, ability to share best practices with other states and learn from each other. Those have all been stymied. So this has been the worst year of the 11 that I've been governor. And uh, and I'll finish 11 and a half years, and, and 2020 is a is a year that is going to be memorable uh, for all the bad things that have happened, uh, and it'll be a year that mostly we'd like to forget. But I th- I I'm optimistic about the future. I think we're turning the tide here in many ways. Uh, we're not out of the woods. It's not time to spike the football. It's a call to action. All hands on deck. Let's do the best we can. And that that if that happens, 2021 will be a great year. And and we're on the cusp of getting a vaccine. Uh, probably in the next few months, I think we'll have a vaccine that will be available. 
and, and that will make things go back to uh, a, a more normalized ability to socialize together. And uh, we're all looking for that day, and I, I'm going to turn this over to the next governor, whoever that may be, in better condition than we had 2020. In hindsight, and hindsight is always better, is there something that could have been done better to prepare for this pandemic? Is there something else that the state government should have been doing? Well, in hindsight, there's probably things that you have learned. They say, well, we should have done that. You know, the most common thing is we should have more personal protective equipment on hand. Every state had that same lament, including the federal uh, government that said we should have had more on hand. They didn't. Uh, so we, every dog for himself, we had to go out there and do the best we could to find it and, and uh, do it in a rush before they ran out. We did it better than most any other state, by the way. And part of that reason was because we were prepared with a rainy day fund. You know, not every state has the significant resources set aside, uh, at least in proportion to our budget, that we do. That put us in good stead. We, we were efficient government. We didn't have a lot of fat out there, and so we were not. Uh, we were being pretty respectful of taxpayers' dollars. We had a good, healthy economy. We diversified. The last 10 years has been the most healthy growth economically in our state's history. Uh, you know, when you think about this last February, not that long ago, we had 2.3% unemployment, the lowest in our history and the lowest in the nation. Everything was pretty rosy. Um, but, you know, the pandemic came in and hit, and then if that wasn't enough, then we had an earthquake at 5.7. We've had fire flood. Uh, you know, we've had windstorms at Hurricane Category 1. Uh, we've had protests and rioting in the streets. Uh, we've had this free fall of the economic uh, the economy. Uh, we're playing op- uh, apocalyptic bingo, and the only thing left on my card right now is locusts. So uh, if the don't even count- say that. Yeah. I've seen grasshoppers in my yard. Don't even say that. <laughs> it's been a, a, a difficult, uncertain, uh, not predictable uh, year. But we are we're probably better prepared than most in the state. That's why we have publications outside of Utah saying that Utah is better prepared to come out of this pandemic uh, better than any other state in America today. We have two of the top ten cities. Uh, here in the on the Wasatch Front and the Salt Lake area and, and or in Provo area, so people recognize that we actually did prepare. We were prepared. We uh, better than most. Could we've done better? Sure. We're not perfect, and and we've stumbled along the way. We learned along the way. But you know, uh, I appreciate the foresight that we and the legislature have had for the last you know 15 years to prepare us to survive. You know this uncertainty that we didn't know was coming. There's no way to predict it. If we can find out who to blame, let's blame them. But in the meantime, we just need to roll up our sleeves and get to work and do the best we can in a collaborative fashion to, in fact, make the future brighter. Our callers are now lining up. So final question before we get to the calls, and that is uh, with the move from uh, to Orange for Provo and Orem, you have a lot of upset BYU fans saying, hey, just you know, next door in Pleasant Grove, they can attend games. Why can't we attend games? What is your message to those folks that, and we know it's an inconvenience for everyone, but what is your message to those folks? Well, they are going to play the football game. And that's uh, something that we ought to you know, say that's a good news thing. Uh, we have around the country many uh, high schools and colleges which are not playing any football at all. And uh, some are dropping around the way uh, because of COVID infection. But we're going to play the game. We contacted Brigham Young University, by the way, uh, before we made any of these announcements. And actually, we were doing the analysis with our unified command team. And the response from BYU was one of very positive. And they said, you know what? We don't think we should have fans in the stadium either. I My belief is they would have not had fans in the stadium, whether we changed Provo to uh, uh, orange or not. They recognize the significant, significant problem coming out of their campus and their students. <clears throat> and as you've noticed, they've sent a very, I think, pointed letter to the students, as has UVU and President uh, Taminas there to their students, which means they understand the seriousness of the situation and the students and the role that they play in the spread of this virus, and we've got to change behavior. So, uh, again, BYU was prepared to to not have fans in the stadium, whether we acted or not. Uh, and, but they are going to play the game, and, and, and the high school is going to be able to play their games. Uh, there's going to be some sacrifice for those in, in Orman Provo with 
uh, not having fans in the stadium. But there's a lot of people sacrificing. Some people are health, are health uh, concerns or problems. People have died. Businesses are struggling. I mean, it's a shared sacrifice. It's also a shared responsibility to work together to get out of it. And, and everybody has a role to play, and uh, we should not shirk our duty and say, well, gee, there's some inconvenience here, and this is, is, is uh, certainly a sacrifice. But we should say, you know what, but that's what we have to do to win this war against this pandemic. And everybody should step up and do their part, and uh, less uh, divisiveness, less uh, uh, angry, uh, and, and more collaboration and cooperation. The number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. You can also text us your questions at 57500. We'll be right back. Have you been laid off, furloughed, permitted to resign, fired, offered early retirement, or a buyout because this virus affected your continued employment? If so, don't leave your 401k or company plan with your old employer. I'm Jeff Jr. with Trajan Wealth, strongly recommending you roll that old plan over. By leaving it there, you completely lose control. If your old company goes out of business or gets purchased, your money could be tied up in litigation for years. Don't risk the money you've worked so hard for by leaving it with the company you no longer work for. Trajan Wealth specializes in 401k and company plan rollovers. We'll walk you through it and even complete the paperwork for you. Don't leave your 401k unprotected and unsupervised. As a fiduciary, Trajan Wealth has the experience and knowledge to help you. Call today. 801-899-7600, 801-899-7600, or visit TrajanWealth.com. Investment advisory services offered through Trajan Wealth and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Close your eyes, unless you're driving. Now, imagine over 1 million books stacked on top of one another. That's over 30 miles high. Now, what if you could fit all these books into your phone and listen to story after story anytime and any place you wanted? With Scribd, you can. That's Scribd, S-C-R-I-B-D. Like fibbed or ribbed, but spelled S-C-R-I-B-D. It's endless streaming for reading. But instead of TV shows, you're getting audiobooks, e-books, magazines, podcasts, sheet music, and more, all through a single app with a subscription to scribd.com you get endless entertainment and knowledge from new york times bestsellers to classics you've always wanted to read for a limited time try scribd free for 30 days there's no commitment and you can cancel anytime for your free 30-day trial get the app on your favorite mobile device or go to scribd.com and sign up now that's s-c-r-i-b-d.com scribd.com Hey, podcast listeners, Ethan Millard and Alex Curie here from the Nightside Project podcast here at KSL Podcast. Get into Zen Headlines with us on the Nightside Project. Use hashtag Zen Headlines on social media to share stories that make you think, make you smile, spread love, spread joy, all those things. We'll share them on the Nightside Project podcast. One of the most popular podcasts ever. Nightside is a KSL podcast. Subscribe for free anywhere you listen to podcasts. This pandemic has taken away many things. It's robbed us from our day-to-day, kept us from our work and play, and erased our views of regular, standard, and normal. But it's taught us a lot as well, including what and who matters most. That's why it's more important than ever to help protect your loved ones from the flu this season. Make a flu shot appointment for yourself and the people you care about most at smithsfoodanddrug.com flu. At Smith's Health, we believe that your people are our people. With the three things you need to know this hour, I'm Nick Wyatt. First, Governor Gary Herbert is announcing a new single-day record COVID-19 case count of 1,198, and he says there are around 180 people currently hospitalized. Second, there's a ton of new graffiti and other vandalism in our national parks, including on the walls of the Narrows in Zion National Park. And third, stay tuned for Let Me Speak to the Governor. We're taking your questions for Governor Gary Herbert starting at 12 o'clock noon with host Maria Chaleos. Expected high of 87 degrees. It's 81 right now in Salt Lake City. And now back to Inside Sources on KSL News Radio. What's your question for Governor Herbert? Call 801-575-8255. This is Let Me Speak to the Governor. Thank you for joining us for Let Me Speak to the Governor. I am Maria Schleos, along with Utah Governor Gary Herbert and taking your calls and questions, 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. Let's go to James in Provo. Good afternoon, James, and what is your question? Well, hi, Maria, and hi, Governor. Good Anyhow, 
Uh, good talking. Good now, basically, I have a fairly simple question, and it may uh, seem a bit unorthodox, but it's very sincere, and I've always been wondering this. I believe in wearing um, a mask to protect both myself and others against COVID-19 spread. And my question to you, you have health advisors, and I do not. And, and again, my question is uh, serious and, and legitimate. I was just uh, wondering if you've been advised on on whether a cloth mask or a, or a paper medical mask, for lack of a better word, is more effective against COVID-19 spread. I've used both. I even used a paper one this morning at the store, but, but I kind of believe cloth is better. But have you been informed by any experts one way or the other? That's my well, question. Well, thank you. It's a good question. Uh, we have been informed, in fact, that it depends on the cloth and depends on the paper. Uh, KN95 masks, which seem to be like paper, uh, are used in hospitals. They are very good, particularly about protecting anything that you would inhale. Uh, cloth depends on the density of the cloth and with the layers of the cloth. You know, anything's better than nothing. Uh, the, the one I would refer people if they care about this issue, and they should, uh, we had BYU here just a few weeks back, came out with a review of 120 different studies on the use of masks. And although it's not the silver bullet that, that uh, minimize, or eliminates any kind of risk, it minimizes the risk. And it's not just for yourself, but when wearing a mask, because uh, this is really spread through aerosol, if you wear a mask, uh, and particularly those, we, we worry about those who maybe don't show much symptom or are asymptomatic, but still have the viral load, uh, they can spread it to other people. So as I've said before, I wear the mask uh, to protect you, James, and you wear the mask that protects me. There is some benefit for us not inhaling things, uh, aerosol spray from a neighbor, uh, but the mask really has proven to be uh, worthwhile. The study at BYU, 120, and when I talked to Dr. Ben Abbott, who headed that up, he said, I went into this thinking it would be kind of divided, 50-50. And there has been, and he explains the, the differences of opinion that there's been over time as this has evolved. But he said 95% plus of all the studies show that wearing a mask has beneficial impact on slowing the spread of the virus. It, it doesn't mean there's no possibility or no risk, but it minimizes the risk, and that's why we should all be wearing them when we can't social distance. All right. James, thank you so much for your phone call. Let's go to John in Ogden. Good afternoon, John. Yeah, hi. Thanks, Governor, too. You know, I really appreciate your emphasis on masks and the trying to rely on the people of Utah to wear them. But I can tell you I'm in the public, and it is not working. It, and I think it's the misinformation that everybody is getting, that masks, you know, cut off your oxygen and you breathe in CO2, which is wrong, um, along with the social distancing. Then aerosol travels 20 feet and stays in the air and can stay in the air for a period of time. I don't think that has been told enough to the public how it really is spread because people think social distancing. Well, if some if you're not wearing a mask, it's in the air. You can get it into your eyes. I had a doctor on the station say I should wear glasses everywhere because I have a compromised kid at home. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really frustrating when I go into the gas station out here in Ogden and there's eight people in there, and I'm the only one wearing masks. The court's not even wearing a mask. And without a mandate, how are we supposed to really tell these people that that's important? Not only for you, but for me, for my kids, for our kids. Kids get it and take it home. I just I don't understand the misinformation campaign about this and why it's so difficult to get the science right, especially we're finding now it affects your heart, not only your lungs, uh, your immune system. We don't even know what it's going to do to the body yet. Well, thank you, John. It is a puzzlement in many ways. Let me tell you my point of view. It's not just misinformation. It's conflicting information. And we need to recognize that there has been conflicting information. In the beginning, the CDC said we should not wear a mask. It really was of no use. They sense have changed their mind as they've learned more. Uh, we've had the World Health Organization that's been on different sides of the issue, Dr. Fauci, the Trump administration. So I understand why people are a little bit confused. 
we have the best minds in Utah and medicine and science working on this issue. Uh, I just mentioned the re- the review at Brigham Young University of 120 studies, which talks about all the same things you were just talking about, the benefit and the misinformation and correcting the information so that we have truth out there. Uh, we need to have people, uh, you know, we, we've had Dr. Uh, Abbott on our press conference, our annual press conference to explain this. It's probably a matter of spaced repetition so that people hear the truth and understand it. It's an education process. It's an awareness. It's also a recognition that this is not, uh, you know, not serious, that there are things we don't know. The long-term impacts we have on heart and lungs is one that's very concerning, particularly for some of our young people. It better to be safe than sorry. And that's kind of the tack we're we're trying to take. So we've spent about a million dollars and growing on uh, public service announcements to inform people about protocols, uh, how we address this pandemic. Uh, And we, at the end of the day, you're right, uh, John. Really, this is going to be up to us. Uh, You know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink, as the old adage we all know about. And whether there's a law in place or an ordinance in place or just a lack of education uh, that we need to improve upon, people have got to change and modify their behavior to protect themselves and protect those around them that they love and their family and friends and those that they don't even know but are still their neighbors. So that's what we're trying to do. Uh, it's working. I, I can tell you mask wearing has increased dramatically along the Wasatch Front. And that includes Davis and Weber County, which doesn't have any kind of a mandate in place. Uh, Utah County has been a little bit slow on the uptick, and that's why we're seeing, I think, such a significant rash of, of uh, infections there. And hospitalization is, uh, rates are, and utilization is going up. But now is it a call to action? And, and all of us ought to take this serious and say we can do our part. It's not that much of a hard thing, as you already know, John, to walk into a, a place where you can't social distance. Uh, to just flip the mask on. It's, it doesn't inhibit your ability to get out and do things. And I played around with golf with a mask on. And, and so uh, it's just something we should do as part of our culture, at least for a period of time until we get a vaccine. We need to take a break for the bottom of the hour news. The number to call, 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. We'll be right back. It's 12.30 now at KSL News Radio. I'm Nick Wyatt with KSL's top stories this half hour. It's another round of lane closures for Utah County drivers on I-15. KSL News Radio's Heather Kelly has details. The technology corridor is very close to completion, says the Utah Department of Transportation. But one of the final projects is paving I-15 northbound from Main Street to SR-92 in Lehigh. The left lane is closed for the next four days until 6 a.m. Monday morning while crews put down the new concrete. UDOT says the entire project of adding six lanes in each direction from Spanish Fork to Bangator Highway should be completed later this year. And our top national story from ABC News, FBI Director Christopher Reyes testified in front of a Senate Homeland Security Committee today and addressed the growing unrest around the country. We do not investigate groups or individuals based on ideology or on the exercise of First Amendment protected activity alone. During his testimony, he said the majority of protests have been peaceful, but they are investigating demonstrators involved in criminal activity. The president of the International Olympic Committee says with or without a COVID-19 vaccine, the Olympic Games can be held safely next summer in Tokyo. The IOC president is optimistic they can keep Olympic athletes and spectators safe pointing to other sporting events that are currently being held around the world. The games were postponed a, were postponed a year because of the pandemic. Your money at this moment, it looks like the Dow is up 166 points, the S&P 500 up 21, the NASDAQ has gained 79. And coming up, it's warm today and then it cools down a little bit. Tomorrow through the weekend, KSL Weather is next. KSL News Time is 1232. Even with school and work upside down right now, we're here. Markets out of whack? We're here. We're here for you with important news. Chanel and get your dream appliances before the holidays. At locally owned Durden's, Black Friday deals start now. Durden's on 5th South in Bountiful. Brands you know at prices you'll love. Ricky Meese in the KSL Traffic Center. 
And Kansas weather, partly sunny and a warm 87 today, then cooling to 79 tomorrow, sunshine 76 Saturday, back to 79 on Sunday. It's 84 degrees right now at KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM, 1160 AM, and KSLNewsRadio.com. This is Utah's all day companion for news. Today, let me speak to the governor. Governor Gary Herbert spends one hour answering your questions. Call 801-575-8255. Live from the studios of KSL News Radio in Salt Lake City, it's Let Me Speak to the Governor. Thank you for joining us for Let Me Speak to the Governor. I'm Maria Shaleos, along with Utah Governor Gary Herbert, taking your calls and questions. And let's go back to our listeners. Uh, Next listener is asking, Governor, whether you think a mask plea from the LDS Church president would convince more Utahns to wear masks. (laughs) Well, I I don't know that I can answer that accurately. I I expect that you'd you'd think that would happen. I mean, if, if the if the president of the church asks people, but I would just remind everybody that the area authority, Elder Christensen, has already done that. And uh, he's been very straightforward about it. I happened to talk with him here at the um, groundbreaking of the Orm Temple. And, and I know he was a little surprised at some of the pushback he had from members of the church, thinking that somehow he'd gone rogue. Uh, he would indicate that he's been directed uh, as the area authority for Utah, speaking on behalf of the first presidency, that this is something that was a good recommendation that uh, that members of the church should follow when it came to wearing the mask. The church has a worldwide organization. They have different regions and issues to, to address. And so uh, I, I don't want to, you know, they'll they'll do what they think they need to do. But I would remind again that they joined with a lot of other religious leaders, Christian and non-Christian, the state of Utah, and sent out a letter a number of weeks back indicating to their followers that you can't be a good neighbor if you don't care about your neighbor and him getting this infection. If you say you love your neighbor, then you need to, in fact, have actions that would demonstrate that. It was a great letter, and, and if, if people ought to look that up and read it, I don't know if we've got it on a web page, we've got to put it out there. It's, it was great, uh, uh, I think, wisdom and recommendations that came from our faith-based organizations in the state of Utah to at least their followers. And um, so I, I would hope that all of us you know, would follow the uh, our religious leaders, as we feel, if we don't have a religion, we ought to just common sense, follow the science, the doctors, and the recommendations, and do it not because government compels you to do it. I understand the pushback on that, but do it because it's the right and proper thing to do as part of a society and a community being part of the solution and not being part of the problem. Our next caller is Spencer in Sandy. Good afternoon, Spencer. What is your question for the governor? Hey, governor. Thanks for taking my call. You bet. Um, I'm calling from the restaurant industry. Me and my wife own a local restaurant here in Sandy. Um, I I have two questions. I've had some recent issues calling the health department regarding questions on COVID. Um, It seems like the information they can give me was from a couple of months back. Um, I'm asking if there is any, any plans moving forward to keep the health department current with recommendations, and also if there's any resources that a business owner can call for complicated questions um, that the health department cannot answer. Uh, uh, and let me just ask clarification. When you say you called the health department, you're talking about the Salt Lake County Health Department or the Utah State Department of Health? Uh, Salt Lake County. Okay, Salt Lake County. I don't know as much. I think that's... Uh, uh, Gary Edwards that runs the uh, Salt Lake County Health Department. I don't know about uh, them not being up to date on information. I would expect that they should be. Uh, if you have any questions, you can contact uh, Rich Saunders at the State Department of Health, and you can call area code 801-538-1000. Easy number to remember, and the receptionist there will uh transfer your call to the health department you can talk to rich or one of his deputies there to whatever question you have regarding restaurants Uh, our hospitality industry has been hit the hardest of any of the parts of the economy with this pandemic Uh, we're down probably 17 percent we're up in other areas you know outdoor recreation etc 
but uh, you can. Uh, I I I I know that the reluctance for people to travel is real. We see with what's happened with the airlines. I, I flew to Washington D.C. here a couple of weeks ago, and and Frank, for those out there listening, I've never been on a cleaner plane, and uh, the air is recirculated every three or four minutes from outside uh, circulation. They're fogged after every flight, so they kill any viruses that are there on board. You have to wear a mask. They don't feed you like they did before in the past, but uh, I I hope things are starting to come back and loosen up, and I expect that particularly when we get a vaccine, people have more confidence in stepping out, and that will be good news for the hospitality industry. I know for in-house dining. The health department has been great to communicate with me. Um, yeah. I've had several complicated questions that, as I ask, this staff, the health department, has not been able to answer. Uh, hence the follow-up question of any resources for a business to contact um, directly. Well, let me give you what uh, they just gave me a number here called the COVID hotline, one uh, 456 Oh, excuse me. They're saying that's Wayne 800 one eight hundred not one eight hundred four five six seven seven zero seven one eight hundred four five six seven seven zero seven. I would also recommend though that our state Department of Health can help you, uh, and uh, our they they can can they're part of our unified command, and so you might have some unique questions that need to have a, maybe a specialist answer for you. Uh, our, again, our dining instructions you know are pretty simple: social distancing. Uh, we'd hope that you're screening your employees when they come in. They should be wearing masks. We know that when you start to eat, you know, that you have to take the mask off, but that ought to be uh, done in, in a, a discretionary manner. And people ought to, in fact, not spend hours upon hours, as we've done before in restaurants, uh, socializing. That's uh, not a healthy situation because of the aerosol spray that comes when you talk. And we even recommend that the music ought to be turned down so that you don't have to raise your voice to have a conversation. That increases the aerosol spray out of your mouth, and if you happen to have uh, the virus, you'll have more likely the ability to spread it to somebody else. So there's a lot of little nuances of this whole thing that we're trying to work through, but we're happy to help you every way that we can to get you back on your foot and be successful. Uh, We try to go out and eat once a week in my family at the restaurants that are open. Uh, We also encourage takeout and home delivery and and uh, we call it Takeout Tuesday, and we try to do that here. Uh, so there's ways to kind of help us weather the storm. And so, Spencer, wish you the very best, and, and contact us and see if we can help you with some of your more detailed questions that probably would be on my pay grade. Okay, Governor, our next listener is a teacher, a concerned teacher about the spike in cases. And the teacher is wondering why you don't enforce a hybrid or online model for every district and school determinations that they feel are best for their schools. That's with input from parents, teachers, uh, the health care uh, regions that are, uh, supervise the health care, the, the local departments of health, in conjunction with the State Department of Health, uh, the business community. I mean, all those things would go into making a good policy. We as a state have issued uh, statements about what are health protocols that should be incorporated in your plan, but we've left it to the local jurisdictions to decide what that plan uh, can be with some flexibility. Now, again, people are learning. Uh, it's a concern that we have 15 out there that is, should be proportionate to whether it's a school of 500 and 15 get infected, we close down or go to hybrid model. Uh, is different than if we have 15 in a school of 1,000. Mm-hmm. There should be some proportionality there that ought to be taken into into account, and that's kind of a common-sense approach. By the way, all these things are being under review right now. I met with the Teachers Association yesterday. I've talked to Sid Dixon, our superintendent, working on the state school board, our legislative leadership, and trying to decide, uh, do we have the right plans in place? And if not, where do we, in fact, have deficiency? And I, I trust the local school boards. They're elected by the people, they're responsive to the people and their concerns. They may not always agree with your point of view as a constituent, but they're trying to do the best they can with the information they have. And we have some that have been in-house classes and, and full-time, as it were, kind of back to normal. They're moving to hybrid. Some are moving to, to online. Uh, we want parents to always have the choice of online or homeschooling or 
uh, if they don't like what the school's doing, they can opt out for something else. Uh, it's it's a difficult time. It's a challenging time. It is where our patience is running thin, uh, and we need to to, to find some predictable lives. I know is what they're looking for. Uh, I think overall, our 41 school districts are doing a pretty good job, and they're learning as they go. If you have issues, uh, talk to them. They're the ones that are the, kind of the board of directors. Talk to your principal. Talk to your teacher. See if you can find some comfort in what's being done there. If you don't like it, then we have homeschooling and online, which is available for, for uh, parents. Yeah, one of our texters is from the Jordan School District, and they're saying um, that they are, have become concerned about the recent uptick in COVID cases, and they've wanted to switch their child from in-person to online, but they were told no because online is full, and they're wondering what, what they should do. Well, I would the first thing i do is talk to the chairman of your school board. They're the ones that uh, allocate the money. Um, you could talk to the principal and the superintendent, too. I mean, all of them are, are good. They'll want to help answer your questions and provide you with options. should have the ability to have choice. Online, some say it's not as effective as in class, but for some, they're saying, well, it's close enough, and until we get a vaccine, I want to be online. If there is not room on the online system, then we need to find ways to, to hire another teacher, and that's a school board decision to see if we can, in fact, accommodate parents so that they have choice. And that's the intent, and that's my intent, and my belief that that should happen. So if it's not happening, let's work with the school board and see what's stopping it, what's the bottleneck, and correct the problem. All right, let's take a call from Carrie in Orem. Good morning, Carrie. Um, my son is a healthy 15-year-old who was obeying all the the rules that he's been given. He's been wearing his mask um, consistently, and he's been social distancing every time he's every time he's supposed to be. And still, he's um, having to stay home from school for two weeks because someone in one of his classes tested positive for COVID. He has no symptoms, and why is he being punished? for other people having having the disease. I don't understand why he's asked to wear a mask and social distance if all of that means nothing. Because he's 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 currently missing out on on all the in person school. I mean doing um doing his home ec or homework at home is or or his whatever at home is is a whole lot harder and he can't participate in his football either. And and I don't understand why we are punishing our children when they're doing what we've asked. Or so because it looks like either we're punishing them for doing what we ask or what we've asked them to do is meaningless. So I I need, I need some clarification. Is is it meaningless or is it, is it, let me help you. (laughs) Let me help you. Uh, Let me help you. Uh, One, there is no, silver bullet out there that's going to make everything all better we're in the middle of a pandemic it's the worst thing we've ever had in our lifetime in 100 years and uh, again it's uh, it's inconvenient it, it makes us angry it certainly has impacted people's lives and it's not fair that people have died uh, so we have science and medicine to help us direct us what we should be doing to minimize the the risk factor uh, your son's 14 years old, so that's good news because he has less risk than people that are older. And and so that's good news. The quarantine, which is what you're talking about, is in fact uh, a concern. In fact, that's being under review right now to see if 14 days is too long. Uh, again, we're learning that there's not as many people that have been quarantined percentage-wise that act, even though they've been exposed to it, to the coronavirus, that are coming down with it because, probably, because they're wearing masks. But masks are not an absolute guarantee. They just minimize the risk. So the medical advice we have heretofore, which led to this issue, is if, if you've been exposed to it, we ought to have you be in quarantine because they care about your life and the life of others. That's I mean, the motivation is not to make life miserable or kick you off the football team or uh, not let you associate with your classmates at school. It's because we're trying to find a way, based on science and medicine, to, to slow the spread because it has ramifications beyond school. 
and to our business, our economy, uh, our, our vulnerable populations, which are dying. Uh, so it's all a, a good faith effort. That being said, we are learning some things with this um, experiment, as it were, to open up schools and bring people back into the classroom. And that's why the quarantine aspect is being uh, looked at and reviewed. Uh, I think there's a good chance that that number will will uh, will be modified. Uh, we have the requirement that people not only wear masks, but they have assigned seats. That's designed so that you can know, as a parent, and your child can know, guess what, you were sitting right next to or within a, some approximate distance of somebody who tested positive for, for COVID-19. And the one is to let you know so you can take appropriate action. And... Uh, uh, and stop the spread. So, again, it's imperfect. I get it. Uh, but right now we're doing the best we can, and the school boards and the, and the superintendents and the principals and the teachers all trying to work together in concert to provide as safe an atmosphere for your kid to get his education, which is the number one goal as possible, without hurting his health. So I just know that's under review right now in the quarantine, and so I think there's a good possibility, as per your comments there may be some modification as far as those days governor we need to take a quick quick break i'm taking a look at our texts and questions and there's not one that isn't about the coronavirus we have about 30 texters all concerned about that as well as six callers that are waiting in line and we'll be right back with more General RV in Draper is your ticket to savings with RV show prices in-store and online. There are no admission fees and no crowds, just huge savings on thousands of travel trailers, fifth wheels, and motorhomes. No matter how you shop, you'll get exclusive RV show discounts and all-time low financing. We're bringing in new RVs every day. But hurry, just like our inventory, these deals won't last long. Explore the virtual RV show at GeneralRV.com or get RV show prices at your local General RV in Draper off I-15 at the point of the mountain. Speeding 10 miles per hour over other drivers only saves you four teeny little minutes from Salt Lake to Provo. That's nothing. That's like one cat video. But speeding causes one in four deaths on Utah roads. One in four deaths to save four minutes? It's just not worth it. Donate some cat video time and go the speed limit. Drive better. Zero fatalities. A goal we can all live with. Reach out to Governor Herbert. Text 57500 or call him at 801-575-8255. It's Let Me Speak to the Governor. Thank you for joining us for Let Me Speak to the Governor. I'm Maria Shaleos along with Utah Governor Gary Herbert taking your calls and your texts. And we have a long list of people waiting. Let's go back to the phone lines and find, uh, let's see, Chris in Woods Cross. And good afternoon, Chris. What is your question? Hello, Governor. How are you today? Hanging in there. How about yourself? I appreciate you taking the time. I'm well, just taking my mask off, in fact. Um, you know, some of these questions have already been answered and asked. One of the things that I, I remembered from the last caller before the break and her concern about her child missing because of exposure for that extended time, what I'm seeing and hearing within my community, um, you know, and, and county, um, is that because of that length of time, when uh, students are being exposed, that parents, um, unfortunately, are not going and getting tested and are not, um, I, I guess, uh, reporting on that because of the fear that they're going to have their child be held out for 14-plus days. And so there is, and, I, and I've seen this in, in some of the reports across the country, that parents then, therefore, are holding those kids or sending them to school sick without ever notifying proper authorities that COVID is within them. What is the state, or what are you guys aware of that, and what, are, what precautions are, are being taken if somebody is, is exposed or has it and they're still going to school? We, let me just answer and say we are aware that that is at least a thought out there for some. For those on athletic teams, you know, if you're on a football team, don't go get tested. Just stay home because if you get tested and it shows positive, then others are going to be quarantined or we may be not going to be able to play football. And I recognize that's probably human nature. It's maybe not smart from the standpoint of the health care. 
and what we're trying to do is make sure that people's health, I mean, at the end of the day, what, is there anything more important than our health? Is football more important or even academics more important? Uh, we want to have it all, and I think we can. Uh, as I've said, you know, a little pain now is going to save us a lot of pain later. <clears throat> so we need to make sure that we're doing everything we can based on the best science that we have, the best data we have, the best medical advice that we, in fact, give that information to people. Because at the end of the day, whether it's a mandate or an ordinance or just good thinking, you will decide what you're going to do. And as I've said before, I, I guess I'm a little concerned about the divisiveness out there. People are going out of their way to to be contrary, uh, to bring contention to this discussion, when we should be looking for ways to cooperate and work together. Uh, the divisiveness is, is really a cause of big concern because it does it does it polarizes people, and then the next thing you know, you're angry and don't want to do anything. Uh, I, as I've said before, we all ought to look at this and say, what am I doing to improve the situation, not to make it worse? We all ought to be a part of the solution and not to be a part of the problem. And there's too many out there that are not helping. And, I mean, all of us need to look, and that includes the press and the things that they're saying. Are we highlighting the controversy and yet not uh, talking to people about the good things that are happening or what we can do together? Uh, and uh, I just think all of us need to take a look at ourselves and see what can we do to improve our own behavior as we're in this battle against this pandemic. And and if we do better there, again, this, uh, the vaccine, I'm sure, is going to come. It's not a matter of if. It's only a matter of when. And we'll you know, be able to get back to more normal socialization. But we all have a role to play, and we should start playing it. Governor, the next listener is asking, uh, what is the end game goal with the COVID protocols? They're wondering, is it zero cases? I mean, what's the goal? What do we need to reach to resume regular life without restrictions? Is it a vaccine? Well, vaccines certainly are going to get us back to as close to normal. I don't think we're ever going to go back to the way it was, by the way, because we've learned that technology can help us, whether it's working with schools and education, distance learning. Uh, the work we find that some of our our businesses are finding that they can have people work from home, be just as effective, save costs and overhead. So I don't know if it's ever going to go back to the same way it was. I think our airplanes are going to be cleaner in the in the future than they've been in the past. So we'll, we'll be careful and, and I think uh, uh, be watchful about this uh, thing over the next uh, couple of three years. Uh, we'll probably end up finding what's the normal is going to be. It'll be a new normal, but we'll get back to normal. The end game for me is uh, there's no such thing as zero risk. Even if we shut everything down, people are still going to get sick. Uh, and uh, so that's not a common sense thing. At the same time, we don't want to expend people's health just for the sake of the economy. As I've said, it's a balanced approach. What can we do to kind of optimal outcomes for health care and well as uh, keeping our economy afloat, which is another problem. I mean, we have a lot of people more concerned about their job and, and whether they have a job than if they catch the COVID-19. So we found a, a good balance point, which seems to be working well. And, and we're, in essence, taking that position to, I don't want to use the word tread water, but maybe that illustrates the point. We're going to tread water on this good balance that we're in now until there's a vaccine out there that will allow us to go to the next chapter where we, in fact, can associate in a more normal way, at least what we've done in the past, knowing that we have vaccines and inoculations, so we have kind of herd immunity now. So, uh, again, it's it's how do we, in fact, weather the storm. Uh, we're doing well at the state overall in all balance. We're doing better in some parts of the state. We have a, a, a brush fire that uh, uh, we don't want to burn out of control in Utah County. I appreciate the good work of the county commission, uh, Commissioner Ainge down there and Nate Ivey and the Utah County Health Department saying, you know, what, let's see what we can do to be a part of the solution and encourage people to wear a mask with a, an ordinance that requires that. Even though we have a soft enforcement aspect, we look at Salt Lake County, I don't know if anybody's even been cited in the couple of months they've had a mask ordinance in place. Um, but it does encourage people to take uh, positive steps in wearing the mask and being sensitive about it, being concerned about it. You know, it's an attitude thing, and we need to maybe improve our attitude a bit around the state. Governor, we appreciate the opportunity for listeners to ask their questions. I wish we could get to all of them, but we understand this is a unique opportunity, and we thank you. Well, thank you. We ought to do it again tomorrow. Okay, how about next month? <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you, Governor. And you've been listening to Let Me Speak to the Governor on KSL News Radio. 
KSL Salt Lake City. Good afternoon. It's 1 o'clock now at KSL News Radio. I'm Nick Wyatt with KSL's top stories this half hour. The coronavirus, the Utah response. And Utah's governor says it will take more cooperation from everyone to manage the increase in COVID-19 cases in Utah's urban areas. At his monthly news conference on KUED, he compared the current situation to the sacrifices made by the generation that won World War II. It's a little disappointing that we have today people saying, oh, having to wear a mask in crowded conditions, having to forego, you know, having the junior prom celebration or fans in the football games. That's too much of a sacrifice to ask of this generation. The governor says Utah will announce 1,198 new cases of COVID-19 today, with 188 people currently hospitalized. Salt Lake City's mayor is teaming up with Tree Utah to replace thousands of trees down by the windstorm earlier this month. Mayor Aaron Mendenhall says Retree SLC will replant more than 1,500 public trees lost within city boundaries. The program is accepting donations. In our top national story from ABC News, Kentucky's attorney general is under pressure to provide evidence supporting the grand jury process after no police officers were directly charged for Breonna Taylor's death. But AG, excuse me, AG Daniel Cameron says doing so could threaten ongoing investigations. White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany was asked today if President Trump has a message for Breonna Taylor's family. That our hearts go out to her. Uh, it was a horrible tragedy that happened and that our hearts also are with the two police officers who were shot last night in the Louisville riots. She says the president has not spoken directly with Taylor. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com. Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.